look, I get that he helped you with that Sheffield mess, but this? This is classic paranoia. Takeover, slow assimilation, that kind of bullshit. You remember that piece I did on those freaks holed up in a bunker? Nah, I'll do a favor. Play ball, but ain't drinking the Kool-Aid. Talk soon, yeah? Celebrity Tumor presents Delivery He never told you about that head peeper. After his diagnosis, we didn't hear from him for a long while. It was after these sessions he started sending these. It wasn't the first time I'd been sent out of state. I mean, D.C. isn't another state, but you wouldn't call it Virginia proper either. But this isn't about the District of Columbia or old Jenny. This is about eastern Kentucky. This is about bluegrass. And this is about a shitload of hinges. Left that old city and found my way down Route 460 from the ass end of southwest Virginia, getting balls deep into the bluegrass state. Got off on a small road at Ford's Branch. Wouldn't call it a town on account of all the trees that greeted me. Not sure if I should mention the wind. More of a breeze that wrapped itself around those branches and took them for a tango. Slow waltz that made the leaves leap and fall in leisurely gesticulations. It sort of calmed me. Past a series of gluttonous pawn shops, past a big old church of prophecy, hollering and all. That small road was a film projector of repeating trees. I was lost. Past what I mistook for an abandoned service station, barely registering it. No respite by way of turnoff opened anywhere along that long passage. Same road, same trees, repeat. The trees bent over the road, sublimated minarets bowing before a nowhere god. It was a clear blue day, but that lush canopy above subdued the sky in a chokehold. The light would occasionally escape the undulating green, flickering an old 8mm in hypnotic jazz. The paper map was for industry, and this address wasn't having it. After 45 minutes of sickening Kentucky foliage, I returned to the gas station. Pulled in, summoned a staggering wraith from the dust below the scarce gravel. The filthy cloud rose up to embrace the car, occulting my vision. It settled even slower than it had arisen, as the edges of the building and forest beyond emerged. I could make out a figure standing about three meters in front. An old man. Dirty coveralls and dirty hair. He took measured steps towards the car. I got out. Lost? He called out. Yep. Uh, afraid so. 
He nodded his head in a sedate yet knowing motion. Looking for Cleverville. Ah. He turned his head down the road, eyes on the horizon. Am I close? The wind lifted what little Harry had into a flowing seaweed. He slowly raised his hand and pointed down the stretch of road I'd just been down. Nah. Nothing down there, old-timer. I've looked. Yeah, you looked. She didn't see. My stomach interrupted and I inquired into what sundries he might have hidden in that decrepit store. I noticed a single line of fluid making its way from inside his shirt sleeve down his forearm. A brown fluid. The store was a culinary time machine. A sad and naked fluorescent hummed above three aisles, illuminating a claustrophobic shopping experience. The shelves were almost entirely bare, save for the random meat products. Ziplocs announcing pokeberry pork jerky, canned hog maw, and a mason jar of severed trout heads labeled chum, with a sharpie marker in a moronic font, lay strewn among the emptiness. Along the far wall was a refrigeration unit. Inside, packages of copperhead panhas remained untouched. There was also what appeared to be a reticulum tripe floating lonely in Tupperware. Old malt liquor adverts littered the 50s-era particle board fence panels. They'd been placed along the wall the way a child paints with his teeth. Clicks malt liquor, Schlitz, and Guts country club posters held up by yellowed tape imprisoned bouffanted women announcing the joys of bygone opulence. I picked up an expired pack of peanuts and approached the register. Gramps rang me up. Out there where the ditches end. My head jerked back from his hospice breath. Pardon? You see the forest thickin' like it's protecting something. He spoke with that specific hollowness found in mouths who've lost too many bicuspids to wanton neglect. How's that? Won't look like your robe, but it is. Won't look like dogs or tires touch it since Tuesday, but it's the one. You got a blade in that rice burner? No, sir. I felt it best not to give him full inventory of the boot. You need one. Here. He slowly raised a machete from beneath the counter. Bring it back. He went on to explain, in a painfully long-winded spiel, about how the road would be overgrown and appear abandoned. Without being asked, he also gave me the full history of Cleverville. The old man told me that there, there'd once been a great factory on the land, and this brought a vitality to the region, but that the men all began to become ill and perished. He went on to describe how the factory had shut down and that Vitality quickly threw its clothes in a cheap suitcase and checked out early. Said they made hinges there. All kinds of hinges. Anything needed to open doors. Almost felt bad about the burst of dust the wheels left behind. Almost. Feeling bad wouldn't help his breath, and I wanted serious asphalt between myself and that service station. Enough distance traversed, I crept down the road at a crawl. 
The tires measured asphalt slowly. Yet the ditches continued and no sign of any turnoff arose. After a torturous twenty minutes, the trees twisted together and the ditches became shallow. All sort of vine wove the forest into a curtain. My foot lightened on the accelerator and those ditches disappeared. There was a road. That there was any gravel below was a closely guarded secret. Between the weeds, vines, and small shrubs which had sprung up, the ground underneath was sufficiently obscured. The feel of the tires, however, a satisfying punchline. Pushing the Toyota towards the underbrush was a lot like walking upstream in a Class 5 rapid. A snail's progress if that snail was all doped up or brain damaged. You got the feeling that those little bushes were actually trying to push the car back. A couple of squirrels shot down the neighboring trees to say hello. Chunks of their fur was gone, revealing brown sores which oozed. I was glad I was in the car. Got the impression that hello was more of a fuck you. Deer, too. Same hairless, oozing patches and hostile demeanor. You ever felt threatened by a deer? Eventually, I got there. Road yawned a small opening, smoke drifting towards the car in tired drifts. The smoke was wafting out of old rusty barrels tended to by the bandaged denizens of Cleverville. They stood, one or two of them to a barrel, poking sticks into the smolder within. Around the clearing were scattered traps. These ranged from your standard mousetrap to bigger, metal rodent cages. It was a trailer park. About a baker's dozen trailers lay at the ends of the clearing and a few beyond that, all of them dated. Now, I've told you about them being bandaged. Let me flesh that out for you. If they wore any clothing under that filthy gauze, it was too ashamed to show itself. Cheap medical tape caked with something black and best forgotten pulled the bandages to the exposed skin. The bandages were stained a brown and lamentable maroon. And that gauze held prime real estate on those emaciated bodies, too. It frequented their heads and faces like a king visits his serfs. You could also see that same brown trickle seeping from beneath the bandages in single slow lines. I pulled the car to a stop and, in doing so, several heads twitched sharply in my direction. There was something unnaturally synchronous about that movement between them, those necks swiveling in simultaneous spirals to face me. I gave a courteous wave and was offered nothing. Those unmoving eyes regarded me with cool mathematics and an uncaring long exposure. Opening the back of the station wagon, I retrieved the modest-sized box and approached the nearest totem. Delivery? I averted my eyes. This one had most of its face covered in gauze, only one lonely eye peering out. Ooh, is it for? Those bandages hissed. Eyes still in the package, I read the name aloud. Dr. Buknenko. I struggled with the pronunciation. Dr. Sergei Buknenko. They extended their arm in the direction of a dark green trailer. The badly stained bandages hanging from that arm looked like an avian appendage. 
You couldn't avoid the hawking sounds. The residents of Cliverville had a habit of coughing up what appeared to be pellets all over the clearing. Every now and then, a small critter would dash across the corner of my eyes. Those heads would hungrily swivel in unison following it. Got the impression dinner time around here was Texas Hold'em. The eyes that could be glimpsed through gaps in the wrapping seemed to have inadequate eyelids. But God had started on them only to forget his intentions during a midday nap. Their teeth were a different matter altogether. It wasn't a long walk to the trailer. A modest-sized mobile home. The front door was dented. I rapped three times. A deep and muffled movement mounted within. Agitated chicken feathers ruffled furiously. The sound of a locking mechanism unbolted and the door opened half an inch. Tightly bandaged fingers wrapped around the door as it pushed open. There was a sucking sound as the local air shoved past me. Decompression. Who are you? Cooed a shapeless voice. Delivery, Dr. Brooke Nenko. The form retreated back into the dark of the double-wide, leaving me propping the door with the package. Yes, me, I'm Runko. Inside, a cozy chaos filled the floor and kitchen. Beneath my feet were the intestines of a down comforter. Feathers lay scattered in loose sheets of yellow paper made for a carpet that could care less. My nose was under a soft assault by the lingering smell of Spanish ham on a sweltering Tuesday. The kitchen, from what I could make out through all the floating feathers, had been converted into a laboratory. Perhaps this was some kind of advanced culinary excursion, but the sink and counters were littered with beakers and test tubes. Suspicious liquids crawled slowly from a contraption in the sink I could only begin to describe with any accuracy. But that wasn't the weirdest thing. Some of those tubes careened down from the counters and out of the kitchen. There was an accordion partition separating the kitchen from the next room. Momentarily, I caught a glimpse of a bandaged figure laying on a bed, with all manner of tubing, wires, and machinery surrounding him. Rukninko slammed the partition closed and stepped back. I held out the package toward him. He tilted his head. Naturally at first, and then very unnaturally. His neck bent slowly, faint popping sounds from within like a kid with bubble wrap under a duvet. When it reached an even 45-degree angle, he stopped and scrutinized the package with that tiny-lidded eye. Oh, thank you. He took the package away from me too carefully, like it was a Bible or a bomb. Didn't lose your way? No, sir. Good. You require restitution. Your signature will suffice. Among the disarray lining the floor were several large books. The titles traversed a series of topics. Sacred mutation, metastasizing divinity, nocturnal panspermia, and the Buckland Gourmet. Feathers jutted out of these tomes at illiterate angles. It spoke to reason these were either bookmarks of convenience, 
or a tragic reflection of Cliverville's unique zeitgeist. As the good doctor continued to speak, he shoved his hand violently into his mouth and rooted around in there, all the while humming. He seemed to latch onto something and, with a long and loud suction sound, extracted a bloody molar from the depths of his jaw. He held the detached tooth in front of those near lidless eyes for a forgotten moment and then stuffed it into his back pocket. You could stay. Set down roots. I really should be getting back. Opportunity. Chance to grow. I recall feeling compelled to leave at this point. But the good doctor wanted to talk. Of course. Everything hinges on. He reached out his hand and tapped the metal chimes which hung over the sink. The long silver pipes banged together in a slow, meandering melody. He returned his hand to the package. The long pipe still swayed, catching light from overhead. The flickering made my head swim. Who sends you on these long runs? Those hands caressed the package gently, like it was a love doll or lottery ticket. You know, human growth unusual. Long. What if? He looked toward the little window over the sink. A question, isn't it? He bent his head that impossible angle again. Can you hear them? The hinges? Suddenly, he heaved forward, clutching his stomach. The box dropped with a thud. I didn't think it possible for those eyes to get any larger on account of the embryonic eyelids, but they did. He spun himself to the right and lunged towards the sink. There was a violent thrusting forward and something large shot out of his mouth. There was a pinging sound as it hit the sink. He didn't move, only he did. His hands began that same massaging motion he'd practiced on the box, only now they were firmly on his belly. He slowly turned back around and erected his torso somewhat to face me. Mmm, dinner time. An incipient, hooting chorus was erupting from deep within the forest. I don't remember leaving that trailer, but I do vividly recall the slap my face received upon exiting. Cool, breezy air whipped up through the park. There were more of them. That slow amble was now executed by twice as many bandaged denizens. Fires continued to blaze without apologizing for it. Lone figures still poked sticks into those small furnaces. But now they were all intently staring at me. And I don't mean the way a, a mother gazes at her young. I'm talking about the look of the lioness on the hobbled gazelle. Fight or flight isn't a question I enjoy pondering, nor did it seem particularly wise to loiter, so I plodded cautiously the remaining distance to the car, thinking about the machete in the trunk. Straightened my back and threw on a toothy smile, looking only at my station wagon as I neared. Finally got to use that machete, 
No great finale here. No fight with those fortified freaks, I'm afraid. That road out had returned its oppressed foliage impeding progress. The shrubs and viney weeds found their way into the underbody of the car. Now, as I've said, it was getting dark. So perhaps my eyes were getting played. But I swear that a viscous brown fluid poured out of the stems and branches as I slashed. And a creaking creeped out between the hooting and crickets. A creaking like the sound of hinges. This is Terminal Velocity, one-way ticket lover. We feel your fatigue. How much more will you lose? Mm, doubt it. Reminds me of that piece I did on that mass outbreak of Capgras syndrome. You remember that little town in Northern California? Capgras isn't something new. We've known about it since the 20s, but that was the first time it had manifested en masse. Gotta be a stress reaction. His condition? That's a lot to carry around. Seeing the exit signs around every turn? Worth looking into anyway. I agree with you there. Old Jimbo has a knack for a good story. I'll get back to you with what I can find out. Delivery is a podcast distributed by Celebrity Tumor and licensed under a Creative Commons Attribution non-commercial share alike international license. For information pertaining to the episodes, cast list and attributions, please visit deliverypodcast.com.